Carlson. I mean, I, I don't. I, I think that that combination works. I mean, anyone who's going to get Arvis in the puck in dangerous places, I'm going to be a fan of. And and Colin Wilson continues to be a somehow maligned and underrated member of the Predators. Like I see people just throw him into the bus at like a heart, like a heartbeat, and it just it perplexes me. And a team where you've got like Craig Smith, who's, who's usually so consistent. You disappeared basically, like you don't even know he's on the team anymore most nights. And Wilson's just really like, you know, I'm going to pick up a few assists and a goal here or there, and he's going to consistently throughout the season and be, you know, a 40 point plus player. Right. Like, that's that's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah, he he, he plays. He always plays good with the puck, and he usually plays good without the puck. Um, I mean, when you play with a guy like Arvidsson, that's just kind of lighting it up right now. I mean, he's just on fire. That's gonna that's gonna make you look a little bit better. But Colin Wilson's played well as well. Uh, Cali Yarncroft gets a, a goal late in the first to make it 2-1. Um, it was just a kind of a rebound goal in front. Hard to tell exactly how it went in, but it was just, you know, it went in. Um, no scoring in the second period, and then Arvidsson uh, gets another one. Um, this is the one that deflected off his back and in. That initially, I think they gave to Forsberg. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Forsberg even admitted he was like, he, I think he's, what did he say? He literally told Jim Diamond that he thought it went in off of Arvidsson's ass. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. Uh, yeah, but the phrasing was uh, <laughs> less than optimal for, for an interview. The phrasing was uh, maybe uh, had some euphemism laden possibilities. But anyways. Pulling it- off, freaks! And welcome back to the show that's nice and rested. Coming off the bye week, you're listening to the Predcast, brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com. I'm Alex. I'm here with Lincoln Maria. How are you guys doing? You say rested. I'm rested. I think you might mean rusted. No, rested. Oh, I am just merely having a semantic difference. Um, Oh. I I, I think much like uh, the Predators coming off the break, you feel a little rusty and you got to shake that loose. The bye week blues? Yeah, I'm definitely there. How about you? Yeah, same with the whole week off. And then I decided I had the brilliant idea of driving up to Columbus yesterday for the game. At least I saw a win, but, you know, doing 900 miles in one day, it's kind of like, you know, playing a back-to-back. Uh, were you hearing cannon shots in your in your brain when you were driving back? Yeah, I plugged my ears. I have no shame. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a long bye week. I, you know, to be honest, though, I kind of liked it. I, I I could get used to that kind of thing. It's nice having just this week. Oh, I'm, sure the, I'm sure the players liked it. Um, of course, we'll pay for it with, like, 24 games in like 30 days or whatever crazy it is uh over the next <laughs> the rest of the season it's not 24 games in 30 days but it's something like that um but anyways it, you know i i thought it was kind of nice you get a little uh, a little week off you can just kind of take take a break from hockey for a second and uh even though there's other games on it's just uh you don't have to worry as much there were other games on yeah i went on like a little hockey neutral vacation. i watched, i think i watched one game which was nice I'm sure I turned the TV on like at least once a night to see what was on, but yeah. I can't remember any of it. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the Predators did uh, eventually come off that bye, and uh, they went one and one uh, in the next two games. So Saturday they played the uh, Minnesota Wild and um, lost five to two. And it was uh, pretty, as, as Link suggested, it was a pretty rusty performance. One of those was an empty net goal. Yeah, one was an empty net goal. So let's, uh... and, they, and they came back to make it a 3-2 game late in the third. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was uh, I, I think, fair to say inconsistent, an inconsistent gate performance from the Predators. Which Definitely, uh, it, it, I kind of have I'm of two minds about this game, and I know we're going to break down a lot of it, but overall, I'm of two minds. The first, oh, it's coming from the bye week, 
they're rusty. Like I think uh, you know the the big number today on on online was that teams coming back from their bye week are three twelve and four across the league. You know everything's stacked against them. Yeah, well, I mean the Predators have looked inconsistent and sloppy in games when they weren't coming off of a bye. So I don't know how much was rust or how much was uh, just the Predators kind of going through the same turmoil they've gone through all season. Um, but I'm happy to blame it on rust. <laughs> I mean, we can. It's a great excuse, especially given everybody's record on, coming off the bye week. But it looked like your average Predators lost in Minnesota. Yeah. It, and in fact, it was it mirrors almost exactly one of the games earlier in the year. Uh, we are going to break it down a little bit, but I, but I don't necessarily, we're not going to dive into as much as we normally do. Um, one of the reasons is because uh, a little bit later on, we're going to play for you an interview we did with uh, Tony Abbott from Hockey Wilderness, who is a, a writer slash podcaster for for the SB Nation form of, or the, the Minnesota Wild version of the SB Nation site. Um, Hockey Wilderness? Right? Hockey, Hockey Hockey Wilderness. Wilderness. And uh, so I, I had a chance to uh, sit down with him and uh, interview him. Well, I didn't sit down with him. He was in uh, Wisconsin. Were time. you sitting when you talked? I was sitting when I talked. Okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were both sitting down. He probably was sitting down. Uh, but um, we're going to play for that, that interview for you. We talk about the Wild game. We talk about the Wild overall, so you'll just have to kind of uh, get through it because uh, we do talk about other teams on this show. Um, but uh, we'll play that for you. But uh, in the meantime, let's talk about some, some of the games. So early on, Mikhail, Gran- Mikhail Granlund scores on the power play um, right in front. And um, then in the second period, Jason Zucker ca- capitalizes on a little, little two-on-one from Mikhail Granlund. That line, the, the Granlund-Zucker-Koivu line, has been one of the best lines in hockey. And uh, early on, it looked like that was going to dominate, and it was 2-0 going into the third period. So, I mean, speed kills, and uh, Zucker-Granlund, they have a lot of it. So Yeah, and... In, in, uh... Certainly, they you know the Predators weren't helping themselves at any point in that first period with penalties. Um, I think that's key. Anytime you start the first period taking a lot of penalties, it just it just means you're that much further behind. Uh, you can recover definitely. You, you may not even give them any goals in those penalties, but it just means that you're tiring out key players a lot of times. Yeah, everything's out of sync. You can't roll your lines because you've got people sitting on the bench because they don't kill penalties and everybody else is like double shifting. Right, yeah, Zolnerchik got the goaltender interference, which, you know, was he checked into him? Yeah, sure he was, but but he also did kind of launch into him as well. I mean, it was, it was on the line. I, I, I wasn't upset that that was called. Uh, Subban got holding there after. There was too many men on the ice call. I mean, just, these are rusty. I mean, when you get things like too many men on the ice uh, penalty eight minutes into a game that's 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 rust yeah but the predators have just been taking a, a lot of penalties period i mean I, I think what you had fiddler had 10 minutes of penalties in this game uh watson had seven minutes worth of penalties in the game i mean granted you're getting a couple fights but yeah fielder fiddlers was a misconduct um, i think was his a full misconduct yeah I can't, well was, so i mean but, i was but, like at the end of the yeah, game yeah watson's was a he, he was his a fight watson was a fight yeah yeah um, I mean, it's just it just there's this there's this disconcerting lack of of discipline, and my impulse is to look at that and say, well, I mean, they they've spent weeks bringing on a bunch of low line grinder fight agitator types, mm-hmm. and that can really change the culture of the team. And and having guys like Austin Watson play more minutes, yeah, I mean, you're just you you're giving more minutes to guys who are you know calm agitators at the nicest level but but grinders fighters whatever you want what they actually do and you know it 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 affects the rest of the team guys take more penalties the guys who come in who tend to take penalties are taking more penalties you're playing more minutes it's (laughs) cyclical and sad and 
in uh, wholly foreseeable, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one bright spot in this in this game uh, came in the third period. The Preds started to put it together. Um, Yannick Weber, who had probably, I mean, probably one of his, if not his best game as a Predator, even though he only got one one point on the night, he's he was skating really well. Uh, he creates a, a nice chance, and Colin Wilson puts home the rebound to make it 3-1 before that Miko Koivu scored a pretty ridiculous goal to, to put him up 3-0. But anyways, Colin Wilson scores 3-1. And then the strangest play of the night, P.K. Subban gets a goal, a uh, nice slap shot goal that got right by Devin Dubnik, but um, the big part of that of that goal was James Neal's screen slash killing of Devin Dubnik, as uh, he would describe it. Uh, what did you think about that play? Because uh, James Neal goes by, he's in the white ice, he's not in the blue ice. He um, screens Dubnik, and then right as the puck goes by, collides with his head, and uh, it it. You know, it wasn't called a penalty. They initially uh, ruled it no goal, but then they went back and changed it and called it a goal. It's like with the caveat that you can never give James Neal the benefit of the doubt anymore just because he has built up such a reputation. He was screening the goaltender, jumped, happened to be jumping backwards and sort of ran into the Dubnik going past. And Dubnik is the one who like flopped like he had died. Yeah, I, we see plays like this all the time. Uh, a forward who's in the screen will, will hop so he's not going to block a low near the ice shot. And he was not in the paint. He was not traveling across the paint. Uh, Dubnik was way, way out on top of his crease. Uh, I mean, it was incidental contact. Uh, yeah. If anything, you'd say oh, it was a little bit initiated by the goaltender just because he was way out far like that. Right. It, th- this particular type of play is really tough because just being in a certain color of ice doesn't necessarily preclude you from making contact with someone else. You can be in the white ice and make contact with someone who's in the blue ice, which is exactly what happened here. The issue here is with timing. Look, the puck was already by Dubnik, and at that point, it's at that point, it's still a goal. Um, I don't know if you could could call it a penalty after that. I don't know how that works, but if you could call a penalty after that goal, but either way, I mean, they got the call right. Yeah. No, I, I think yeah. I mean, the call was right. It was incidental contact. Was was there? Um I'm going to say contact, even though it, it in the context of hockey it tends to be it tends to, in this phrase I'm going to say it tends to be taken the wrong way. There was contact with Dubnik's head. Yes, there was, but it's at the same time incidental. If 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 Dubnik was was injured by that or caused any sort of like a concussion or 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 damaged neck or something, that would have really been a major major shame. But it's also it was also sort of part of playing hockey that that happened because there was no penalty ruled that James didn't really do anything wrong there. Uh, Dubnik's reaction was a little impetuous, really. Right. Given the way Dubnik played the rest of the like during the entirety of the game, the way that Dubnik played to react like that to uh, what I would say probably an accidental play by Neil is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to get to that. Uh, let me just jump to that real quick. So Dubnik after the game said. Um, um, he said a lot about it, actually. He kind of went on a little rant. But um, he said, if that play happens to a player in the middle of the ice, that's going to be a suspension. He almost killed me, talking about James Neal. So uh, what I thought was just kind of crazy about that is, uh, number one, Dubnik doesn't do this. He doesn't make a lot of comments outside of uh, outside of the game that, that are this histrionic. But he he does this, what, a week after one of his own players literally almost was killed by uh, Gustav Nyquist when he speared Jared Spurgeon in the face. Uh, I mean, that was really dangerous. And uh, just the other day, we saw Jacob Truba 
nearly take off. I, now I'm blanking on what player that even was. Well, he did get two. It was he got two games suspended for that Truba, he, and he got suspended. Yeah, two games. Yeah. Well, who did he hit? I can't even recall. Stone. It was the yeah. st- the yeah. the Stone in Ottawa, not the Stone that was traded recently. <laughs> right. It was Mark Stone. Um, yeah, like th- those players. That was those are dangerous, dangerous plays. This play from Neil. Could it have been a penalty? Maybe, but just, I mean, come on, man. He didn't, you didn't almost die. If you think that almost killed you, you have guys firing pucks 90 miles an hour at your head all night. You you must be pretty, uh, pretty insane to think that. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder with something like this coming from, from Dubnik is, is, you know, he was run out of town in Nashville pretty harshly. Like he was brought in, the team did not play well in front of him. Uh, you know, he wasn't exactly the sharpest, but he, he, he was here for, for, as they say, a cup of coffee, two games, and then just shipped right out. I mean, he was given so little opportunity, and he's since you know when he was able to to settle down and and have a you know different structure from him has been, as we've all seen, wildly wildly successful. The pun definitely not intended. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Uh, and you know maybe he's got a little chip in his shoulder. He comes to Nashville. Maybe he didn't have the best relationship in the locker room. Um, you know we don't know. I, I don't want to be casting aspersions on his character, um, but I just I, I wonder because he always seems to have a bit of a of an edge when he's playing against Nashville now. He definitely made a comment after the last game in Nashville about wanting to show us that he was like an actually a good goaltender. Yeah, and I was sad when he went away because I'm like, guys, he needs more time. He's way better than you're giving than, than the numbers are suggesting right now. You know, I don't think it was just him needing more time. I think he actually had to go through the whole process of you know sort of coming to the bottom of where goaltender can be and sort of having like a mental thing about okay, I need to you know change my life or how I decide to play this position. Yeah, because uh, he he went like he had to sign I think as a UFA in Phoenix, and then with their goaltender worked with him and suddenly rediscovered his mojo. Hmm. Yeah, I just I only say that casting him out as quickly just wasn't really. Yeah, I think he's got a as lot of, good asset management, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah and, and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of teams. He's probably trying to uh, to show up from 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 then on. I mean, Edmonton, of course, but um, you know, regardless, he's he's not a he's not usually this kind of a player to make these kind of comments. But uh, who is he? Is he Mike Smith. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of comments about that about him being the new. Oh, Mike were they? Smith. Oh yeah, people were like, oh, good, Mike Smith again. Oh, good. Well, then my my joke isn't funny. It's just a little sad. <laughs> um, but uh, regardless, uh, the rest of that game, Jason Zucker. So the Predators make it three two, and it's all of a sudden a game. But then Subban makes a play on the blue line, turns the puck over, and Zucker takes it the other way and and scores on uh, Rene to make it four two, and then an empty netter. So and he was just he was trying to get the puck on net Subban. Yeah, I mean that's was, all he was trying to do. Trying to shoot. Yeah, like it's just collided with Zucker. Yeah, I because I to saw go, like outside. It's like to get around Zucker. He does a lot of dipsy doing around the, that, that corner of the where the blue line meets the wall. He does a lot of that. But, I mean, I don't fault him for doing what he did. I mean, I would have him do it a hundred more times. It just fails a lot more often than I'd like. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely... I mean, anytime you are are uh, have your defenseman with the puck playing around on the blue line, bad things are, could happen. Uh, I'd rather that be... P.K. Subban doing that than, uh, I don't know, Yannick Weber or Matt Irwin. Uh, I want them to just get the puck deep, but Subban has a little bit more freedom to do that. I don't know. Am I crazy? No, I was just suggesting maybe maybe Brad Hunt could try it out. <laughs> who is Brad Hunt? Do we know who No one is? knows who Brad Hunt is. He's this mysterious he's, figure. He's the heir to the Hunt ketchup family. fortune. <laughs> Brad Hunt is... Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier. He's got to be working on some sort of a streak of being acquired off waivers by a team and not and being healthy scratched. I mean, it's like 20 games now. He's been on the team forever. I, I'd love just to sit down and have, have a drink with that guy. 
I went to practice a couple of weeks ago, and I saw him, so I'm pretty sure he exists. Does he have a jersey number? Like, does he even have a roster number? Right. I don't know. I, I'd have I, to look it does up. He does, because actually, so I saw the number, I was like, I don't know who this guy is, and so I looked it up on the roster, but of course, I don't remember what it is now. Yeah, let's 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 do a little, let's do a quick hunt. Yeah, dude, um, we're going to so- look up some Brad Hunt, hot Brad, hot Brad Hunt facts. Ooh. Okay. Um, I mean, let's do a little little plus or minus. Okay. Um, or, you know, we'll just, just if we want to do a guess about where his number is. And I'm going to tell you, oh, you already saw it, so you know it. Do you I remember? Don't rem- I don't remember what it it's is. It's a double-digit number. His jersey number. His jersey about. number. It's a double-digit number. Okay. And I'll tell you one thing. It is over 50. His jersey number is over 50. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. I'll give you another hint. I'll give you another hint. It's a, uh, oh, wait. No, never mind. It's not a prime number. Oh, I'm not going to know that. <laughs> not a prime number. Yeah, I Yikes. Got, I got nothing. You have to give me a, a player hint. Like, it's a, he's around this player's number. Ooh. Um, if I were to pick a good yardstick, I would go with Sergei Kostitsin. Okay. Um, but, it's, okay. I'm he's within five. With the, he's I, in, I got he's, him confused with Andre for a second. Yeah, but he's Sergei plus Kostitsin. or minus five of Sergei Kostitsin. 78. So close. 77. 77. 77. Brad Hunt is with... Yeah, he's, he's wearing the exciting numbers of 59, 24, and now 77. And 24 appears to be his... I feel like he had 24 number? on his helmet. And I was like, who's that dude wearing 24? He might, because he might have had 24, and then I think the Predators have a new 20... Who's 24 is being worn... No, but Zolnerchuk is wearing 25. He's wearing 26. Is he... Wait. This is... Is he wearing 26? This is riveting audio. No, I tell you what, this is great because this is definitely the most that any podcast ever has talked about Brad Hunt. I can guarantee well, yeah, that. Now I'm going nuts because like there's all these players I don't care about and I don't bother to learn their numbers. I just see that guy's playing bad. Oh wait, it's Harry Zolnerchuk, <laughs> um, and that's kind of where I leave it. Uh, but now I'm I'm just getting curious. Okay, no, here, but uh, no, I, there's no one on the roster's 24, so he picked 77. I have a okay. point to make about Brad Hunt, which is so weird to me. Why do they have him and they're not willing to just waive him and send him down to Milwaukee? Because I'm, I'm assuming he'd pass waivers. No one else took him besides Nashville. Um, why wouldn't they do that? Also, why do they have him and not use him? Why have they just kidnapped him and locked him in Bridgestone <laughs> Arena? I mean, this is weird. I've all, I also totally forgot Matt Carl was even signed by the team. Oh, yeah, that was like... How many he games was the guy play? who was wearing 25. He played like 10 games. Uh, if that match. Yeah, he. Uh, that's. I don't know how I forgot that. Yeah, he played um, six games. Six games. Wow. I forgot Matt Carl was even the Nashville Predator. Matt Carl. Okay. Anyways, back on track. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, the Predators lose five to two, and um, I guess you know, coming off the bye week, I wasn't. I wasn't shocked by this loss. I was disappointed, but I wasn't shocked by it. Um, the only, the, you know, probably the, the better players on the team, Colin Wilson played okay. He had a point, a goal, and an assist. Um, the rest of the team, not not much going on. This uh, t- too much going, too much wild for the Predators to handle. Oh, and I have to rag on my favorite point as we as we slowly remove ourselves from this game. Look at the goal chart for this game for the where Minnesota scored their goals all in front. Guess where they were? They were all right in front of the paint. Yeah, and I keep I, I'm of two minds of this as I am with so many things. Because one, I mean, that's a high danger. If you get a lot of shots or a lot of things happen, you know, it could be goals being cleaned up, could be really in tight. That's a very dangerous area. But, man, the Predators cannot prevent goals in that area. Yeah. I, it, well, the piece you published today, Alex, uh-huh. about um, 
Little Bear's performance in Columbus yesterday, the um, like the all those safes he had in tight, yeah, like he had you know three or four point like opportunities that could have been goals right there that he managed to save the game right there. And, and I wonder, Maria, if that's one thing the Predators are dealing with is that teams have sort of they they have the book on on Pekka at this point. They know, especially last year, this year. You get in tighter on Pekka, he struggles. Mm -hmm. And then you throw out Soros, where there's not as much of a history there. And they're going to go in and say, well, we're going to stick with the game plan we prepared for. We prepared to go in tight and really try to focus on just just getting scoring chances in that area. Yeah. Uh, and then against uh, like Soros, it just doesn't work at, at the, in the same way. Uh, so it, I just it, I don't know if it's if it's coaches preparing or simply just because it's such a dangerous area. If it's one or the other, or a combination of both, most likely. Yeah. But it certainly is a pattern when when at least when Pekka's in net is that's where goals are, are happening. And if that's a weak area for Pekka, then the defense needs to compensate. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. Right. Yeah. Very good points on by by you guys on that. And uh, I I think uh, we're going to talk about the Columbus game, of course. But uh, you know. It's interesting that that Rene, for for his entire career, has been that guy who would really much rather just take wrist shots, flash the glove, and cut down the angle. Um, but it, yeah, as soon as you get in tight and he has to move laterally, it's not good. Soros, you saw, you've seen occasionally him him struggle with uh, goals up close, but almost all of those are because guys are shooting high. And uh, like we've talked about, if if guys can shoot high and make it, they're going to score on any goalie in the league. Yeah, and and. and and shots in that tight are always going to be difficult on a goaltender. And if they, unless they get that poke check coming yeah. in. I mean, we saw that happen to Pekka against Buffalo. He went for the poke check and, and whiffed, and you know, that's easy after that because he's overcommitted. Yeah, there's just too much net to shoot at in tight like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk about the, the Sunday game. Let's talk about the, the game against the Blue Jackets. So uh, the Predators turn around and go to Columbus, and uh, they eke out a win. Um, it looked uh, like they were going to blow a 3-1 three to, three to lead, but uh, they did not do that. So uh, it, first off, we had Ryan Ellis um, coming down and uh, launching one screened in front, which I believe was Colin Wilson, right? Colin Wilson was screening um, Bobrovsky in front. There you go. Colin Wilson doing a good job again. And uh, Ryan Ellis got the goal to put him up one nothing. That's Ryan Ellis' ninth goal of the year. Then in the second period... Fresh off the farm, Kevin Fiala gets a turnover. Uh, really fortunate to do so because it really had no business coming back to him. But um, gets a turnover. Deeks um, Bobrovsky, who was really just playing way, played way too aggressive on it. And uh, I guess he thought maybe uh, he could come out and, and get the puck, but Fiala was there. Anyways, Deeks him and then uh, scores on him. So uh, did you see anything that you particularly liked about Kevin Fiala? I know I did. Yeah, well, talking about that goal for just another second – what happened was they got tangled up behind the net and Bob made the pass out to his defenseman who'd lost it. But Fiala would have already been out of the zone if Bob hadn't like tied him up behind the net. So right. it was sort of doubly responsible for that goal happening. Yeah. But no, there's no reason why Kevin Fiala should be sent back down. I no. don't understand why they are. <laughs> this is seventh goal of the season. How many times have you have we said that on this show that Fiala has no business being in Milwaukee this year? I mean, you don't need to have I mean, I don't even I don't even understand why we why you uh just have Austin Watson on that fourth line. Don't have you know guys like Derek Grant and um, Zolnercheck on the team, and put Kevin Fiala on that line that he was on last night with Mike Fisher. That works. You saw it. You saw it work. He was great. Yeah, I mean the only thing I get I, get, I get, ever get caught up in is the fact that you know they're like, oh, we don't have we don't have space for that 
talent player. I'm like, that's a stupid problem. Mm-hmm. We don't have we don't have a wing spot for a talented, dynamic scoring forward who just needs to be enabled to be successful. Because I'll bore people. There's nothing. <laughs> there is nothing he can learn in Milwaukee, and le- except for like hard work ethic. And yeah. it's cold. But he's from Switzerland, so it's probably chilly there more often than not. There's mountains, I hear. Yeah, he's he's actually pretty good defensively. He might float sometimes, maybe be a little weaker than they like him to be. But he's you know he's pretty much where he needs to be defensively in the NHL. Yeah, he works so hard on every end of the ice. I mean, he honestly, I mean, this is maybe sacrosanct to say, he's not that different from Victor Arvidsson. Victor Arvidsson is is a machine all over the ice, but Fiala works hard too. I mean, he he battles for the puck everywhere. I mean, he doesn't, he's, and he's limiting the turnovers. He's, he's, he's by the way, he's a much better shooter than Arverson. Uh, he's, I mean, Fiala needs to be on this team. And for all the talk about trades and and trying to get these scoring wingers, you've got one right there. He's there. All you need to do is just play him. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I, but I, I just pulled up like his, his hero chart to look at that. And he, he's like solidly in what his career with the Predators been in fourth line deployment minutes. Yeah. He's, he, but his, his like goals per minutes played are really strong. Like they're very, very strong. His shot generation, very, very strong. Uh, but he's just not, he's not out there enough. He does all these things really, really well, but he's just not being put in areas historically to be successful. And that's when he fades. And it just, it just will bug me. For the longest time until he just stays with the team. I think Arvidsson is a decent comparable. Like, they're not the same player. Fiala's more, like, skilled giftedly than Arvidsson is. And Arvidsson has more, like, visible hustle, maybe because he's maybe not as good as Fiala is. That's probably true. But, yeah, there's no reason why one should be on the team and the other one shouldn't at this point. Yeah. Um, Right. So, anyways, I think think the Fiala situation, I'm really worried, really worried that they're going to trade him. I, I, I have this just sinking feeling that over the next two weeks, they're just building him for this trade value, and they're going to try to get some like a, a depth defenseman out of him or something. And I'm just really worried about that. I mean, if if Boyle got a depth defenseman for Kevin Viola, um, it would be one of the more disaster trades of of his of of Poyle's career. I just don't think they value him. Like they, they, they certainly don't seem to to value him as high as as they probably should. They're going to like trade him for. I mean, honestly, if you hadn't said it before, I'd be like, they're going to go get Michael Stone from Arizona, but he just went to Calgary. So, uh, hopefully not. Hopefully he sticks. Uh, anyway, so it's two Oh, uh, in the second period. Then, uh, Brandon Saad gets a goal. Um, Seth Jones made a great play. Uh, Saad deflects it in front. It's two to one. That, that was, by the way, that was like a minute after the Fiala goal. Um, but the Predators stay strong. Uh, Kelly Yarncrook eventually gets uh, the benefit of, of, uh, a nice bounce in front. James Neal uh, made a great play to uh, get a shot on, and it snuck through. Bobrovsky went out the other end, and then Yarncrook was right there. Uh, Callie, Callie, man, he's just uh, keep, keeps producing from that from that uh, middle, that sort of center center position, but maybe like second C, thirty C, because he's sort of sw- flopping in terms of minutes between uh, Fisher and, and Yarncrook. Maybe, maybe Laviolette has discovered the secret of cultivating young talent in the NHL, which partially involves playing them at their natural position. Shocking. Like they should have done with Colin Wilson. Like they should have done with Colin Wilson. Yeah. Uh, so Yarncrock gets that goal to make it 3-1. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand, who um, a lot, there were some dark, there were some, he was a dark horse candidate for uh, Calder at the beginning of the year. It's not going to happen, obviously. He gets his second goal of the year. 
Um, really, really good shooter um, assist from uh, Winberg and Wierenski. Then Wierenski gets a goal early in the third period to, to tie it up. And that was where I'm thinking, oh, gosh, here we go again. <laughs> it's either going to go to overtime, we're going to lose, or um, we're going to lose in regulation. But then Philip Forsberg, man. Philip Forsberg skates around the defense like only Philip Forsberg can, finds Matty Eck, and uh, Eckholm sends home the game winner. Still about 10 minutes to go, but the uh, Predators and uh, Soros shut it down and win 4-3. to three. So there you go. No penalties by the Blue Jackets, interestingly. They were a very clean team last night. Yes, well, you, when, when you're the Columbus Blue Jackets and you're... Um continue your historic climb to mediocrity you need to stay key you need to at least have something to, to fall back on and and finishing clean games certainly covers up the fact that they've been pretty mediocre to poor since their historic uh winning streak right they they were definitely not clean that game they they had seth jones had a high stick on uh colin wilson later in the game there were there were some other elbows coming up but you know whatever i guess they didn't see it yeah. Well, if you want to feel better, you can always go the the. Uh, you can just watch video of of Fisher's hit on. Uh, oh on yeah! Jones. Oh yeah! Wow, that was a big hit. Yeah, there was a few other plays that could have been called both ways. I think Forsberg held somebody's stick. I think Subban wound up like high sticking somebody. I mean, there was some other stuff that could get played. What I did not like about the game is getting outshot. What nineteen to seven in the first period. Yeah. So so, what's interesting about all of that is because I, I you know I was. That's that was everyone was like, oh, all the shots, all the shots, all the shots. So definitely, if you look at the Corsi numbers, yeah, the Blue Jackets far and away. Everyone's like, oh, if you look at Corsi, Blue Jackets, you know, it's much, you know, very tight game. Blue Jackets should have won that one. If you look at scoring chances, like actually generated scoring chances, the Blue Jackets were just shooting the puck at, you know, they were missing the net, they were shooting wide, they weren't getting it. The Predators just generating actual scoring chances, mm-hmm. and they put them away. Yeah. So it just shows you. Things get more sophisticated than Corsi. Corsi's nice, but you need to actually look deeper. It's not. There's not. That's not the Always. one stat that rules them all. Absolutely, yeah. the Predators also led in, in high danger chances too. So like the Predators had 14 high danger uh, high danger shot attempts compared to the Blue Jackets 11. So um, still a lot. I mean that. There you go. Soros did did a great job to prevent those most of those from not going in. Uh, the Predators did get a lot of traffic in front. They really did. They got they got a lot of a lot of traffic in front of uh, of Bobrovsky. So. Yeah, the Yarnker goal, the Ryan Ellis goal, all of that was people in front of the net. Yeah. What was a bummer about that game is um, again because he didn't score, despite his activity. Uh, Colin Wilson, Craig Smith got a, got some was getting some flack for that uh, game. Yeah. And it's like Bobrovsky was has not been playing well, but for some reason when Craig Smith was coming at Bobrovsky, Bobrovsky's like, not today. Not yeah. you, not today. I may lose this game, but Smith, <laughs> you will suffer. That seemed to be like the the approach because no one on the Predators team was better at generating quality scoring chances uh, against the Blue Jackets but Craig Smith. And that's why like I, I, I have this in my head to like actually chart out his performance of the year because everyone has sort of turned on Craig Smith this year for some reason. It's like, he's having a bad year guys. He's not that he's shooting the puck. The puck's not going in. He, he's doing a lot of things, right? He's not going to play much defense. You, we know this stop ragging on his defensive play. No one expects that of him. Uh, but everyone wants to ship him out of town. But this just, look at the history. The history is there with this game. His performance hurt a little bit worse though, because what happened is he got two separate breakaways and both times they came back and scored. 
So the first time to make it 2-1, the second time to make it 3-2. Mm-hmm. So that just sort of like underscores his, the struggles well, that he's been having. If a guy with the breakaway, if Bobrovsky makes the amazing save, he does. And the, the team t- and then the Blue Jackets go back, take it back and score. What happened to the, all the players behind Craig Smith? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Yeah. So oh, it, it bugs me to no end. He had, he had six shots on goal leading the team. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, I, and, they, and that's, they weren't just six. I mean, they were six actual <laughs> scoring chances. Yeah, right. Now, and talking about him not playing defense or whatever, but that has been so much, that's been made a lot better this season with who he's playing with. Since they've sent Ribeiro down, he's playing with Fisher's more defensively responsible. Fiala, it, if he can stay up there, he's also, he's not, I wouldn't say defensively responsible, but he's, he's defensively active. So he's, he's defensively enthusiastic. <laughs> he he works really hard. A great defensive teammate. He's got some. He's got solid attendance. Not we're not gonna say perfect. His, solid attendance. His heart is in defense. That's where his heart is. I I mean I think you're reaching now, but <laughs> I'll be supportive of your of you. Uh, the the other great thing about the Blue Jackets game, the Ekholm Subban pairing was outstanding. Uh, Ekholm not only got the game-winning goal, Subban had two assists. They were both great at stopping chances. They shut down the opposing top line with Cam Atkinson. Um, really, really great work from the, the opposing defense. Do you think the uh, defense is starting to figure it out? Is the, uh, the Ekholm-Subban pairing feeling good to you? The Yossi-Ellis pairing? We still have to hear about if there's an Ellis injury possibility, but um, feeling good about the defense now? Yeah, I think they've really come together and gelled, and they sort of you know, figure out their roles now. Uh, I, I just want to see some, some consistency. Um, I, I think they're getting there. Um, but, again, we, we've said that so many times this season that I just am waiting for it to burn me. But they definitely <laughs> seem to be at least starting to sort some problems out and get a little more comfortable. I think so. I, I think Subban, I mean, the the balance between Subban and Ekholm, I think, really works. They both complement each other. Uh, Subban needs that kind of bigger guy uh, to to his um needs that bigger guy behind it but also just somewhere else on the ice to kind of support uh, i mean there's been a lot of chances that have been stopped by ekholm coming back and there's been a lot of chances that suban has stopped coming back with his speed so that pairing really works to me but um so the predators get a win there uh we'll talk more about the week upcoming uh but only two games to talk about so uh um, I think we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, actually, we are going to uh, play for you the interview we did with uh, Tony Abbott from Hockey Wilderness. Uh, we talked with him about the Minnesota Wild. We talked about the, the, the game on Saturday uh, and some other things. So uh, we'll be right back. Uh, you're listening to the Predcast. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402, or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. And welcome in. We are uh, joined right now uh, by Tony Abbott from Hockey Wilderness. Um, How's it going, Tony? Oh, it's going pretty good. It's a uh, it's a nice Sunday, uh, a nice February Sunday where it's like forty degrees outside. So 
Can't get much better. So I'm, I'm assuming you're you live in Minnesota. Uh yeah, northern okay. northern part of Minnesota. I live well, actually Wisconsin. Uh, okay. If you know like the tip of the wolf's nose on Lake Superior, that's okay. about where I live. Okay, I'm not familiar with that, but <laughs> it's all right. All uh, right, learn some geography, dude. I know exactly. I <laughs> I actually have relatives that live in Wisconsin, but uh, I haven't been there in quite some time, but. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for joining us. We uh, we wanted to try to reach out to some uh, some other blogs around uh, SB Nation and um, just talk about talk hockey. I mean, we, you know, we obviously talk about the Preds all the time, and uh, we try to talk about other teams. But it's nice to have um, someone from another site that does a great job at, on your end talking about the Wild. Um, and uh, so, I guess if you don't mind, if could you just kind of explain, you know, what what your role is over there at Hockey Wilderness? Yeah, um, I, I write over at Hockey Wilderness. I used to be an editor on the site. Uh, ended up having to step back a little bit, but I write once or twice a week. And I do, I'm the host of the Hockey Wilderness podcast, which is basically this podcast, but with the wild. So Great, um, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been able to listen to it a few times. It's great. In case, all our uh, Predcast listeners... Uh, I know it will pain you because it's about the wild, but you'll have to just bite the bullet and listen to it because it's good stuff. So um, what I want to talk about, um, obviously we have a game to talk about. Um, So we're recording this on Sunday last night. The Wild and Predators played to a 5-2 final, the Wild coming out on top. Um, The uh, game looked pretty much over in the third period uh, until the Predators finally got on the board um, with a couple goals. Colin Wilson scored and then P.K. Subban scored, but the Wild pulled it out. So what were your your thoughts on uh, last night's game? I actually thought it was a pretty even game last night. Um, you know, um, when those two goals were scored, I'm just like, oh, no, here we go. Uh, I fully expected to see it tied up. I was very glad that it wasn't. Jason Zucker went back and, and put the game on ice a little bit, and then there was that empty net goal, of course. Uh, you know, just uh, just a pretty good, intense game uh, from both sides, I thought. I thought both sides played really well. Yeah, it was, um, you know... <sighs> The, the Predators just came off their bye week, and so a lot of us were concerned that we would see some sluggishness out of the out of the box, and the Predators got like, I don't know, they committed like five penalties in the first period and were pretty much being beaten to the puck all over the place, and they still came out only down one nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Wild just have so many, so many weapons that it's just, it's, it's almost unfair. I mean, they, they just get, they have... At easily three lines that can do just as good work offensively as they can defensively. I mean, the, the Koivu Granlund um, Zucker line is, I mean, is it the best line in hockey? I mean, I, you tell me. It might well be. I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, if you're a Boston fan listening to this for some reason, I don't know. Uh, well, you know <laughs> what? I know why, because the Predcast is a great podcast. That's why you're <laughs> listening to it. Uh, but, you know, I, I suspect Boston fans will be like, okay, well, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak are maybe a little bit better. And, and you know what? I can't knock that. I'm sure there are a couple other lines, but right now this uh, this line is probably about as good as anything. Uh, you probably don't see them dominating the, shot, the raw shot attempt numbers, but when you look at these scoring chances that they are able to create and the ones that they're able to prevent, yeah, it's such a great line, and, and they're really earning that plus like combined plus like one hundred or whatever it is. Yeah, they, they they combine for three 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 of the five goals or no 
no, I'm sorry, four of the five goals uh, last night, and and uh, had like six points between them or something. I mean, just just an insane uh, insane line last night. They were they were very very good, and uh, Predators just couldn't answer for them. I mean, their their numbers since late November are uh, are really just kind of astounding. Yeah, they they absolutely are. I I know um I, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but they've been about a point per game more than a point per game in some cases since they were uh, they were joined together sometime around late November, mid to late November. Um, I know that Jason Zucker has obliterated his previous career high. I think it was twenty six. He's at t- up to forty. One points now, I think. Uh, Mikhail Granlin's former uh, career high was forty-four points, and now he's in the—he's got to be in, in the mid-fifties right now. So, yeah, yeah, they're they're doing really well. And Miko Koivu, um, you know, everyone kind of expects him to to fall off the uh, off a cliff one of these days, but uh, being paired with these two guys and, and the offense that they created, you know, it's keeping him holding on to. Uh, to his productive days a year longer, right? And, and uh, you know, I listened to a, a recent show. You guys talk, were talking about Koivu and his uh, possible run at the Selkie. And uh, you know, I was, at first I was like, okay, that's pretty much reserved for Andre Kopitar, Patrice Bergeron. But but uh, I mean, looking at the numbers, I don't see how he can't win it. I mean, like he's he's by far the best two way forward in hockey right now. Yeah, you know what? There's a really compelling case for that. I'm sure also Ryan Kessler can be there. But you know what? I got to be a homer. I got to stump for the guy. And you know what's absurd? He's been a great defensive center for all these years, his his entire career. He's been really good defensively. And he, I think the highest that he's finished for a Selkie trophy is fourth place. That is absolutely absurd. <laughs> so I am personally rooting for him to win just if for nothing else, if not to be rewarded for what he's done this year than just to be rewarded for his entire career of just doing really great work under the radar. Right, right. I mean, I, the competition is is pretty good. I mean, when you're talking about Jonathan Taves and Andre Kopitar, you you can't feel too bad about finishing fourth behind behind guys like that. But uh, um, listen, I wanted to ask you about the uh, more about last night's game. So <laughs> there was some uh, some reaction on Twitter, especially. Uh, regarding um, Devin Dubnik's reaction to to James Neal. So in case you weren't paying attention or didn't catch it, the second Predators goal, P.K. Subban uh, gets a goal. Um, James Neal was screening him, and then as soon as the puck went by, he made contact with his head, and Dubnik went down. Dubnik was not happy. He was very, very upset, and then proceeded to face punch a bunch of people afterwards. Um what was what was your react? What was the uh, the wild fan reaction to this? Because I know the predators were kind of just kind of baffled at why Dubnik was so upset about it. But uh, what what was your reaction? Well, personally, I, I think it's absolutely absurd. You know, when you watch James Neal for his entire career, you know that that guy would never, ever, ever do anything uh, on the edge. <laughs> Maybe over the line, you know, just a just a good clean player. He up really, there, play, really plays between the whistles. He just doesn't. He doesn't do that kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, I, yeah, I saw that, and I, I, I try to not get work, too worked up about you know like who's dirty and who's not, and what call should have happened and what call shouldn't have. But seeing it again, I think that if it hadn't been a goal, Neil probably would have gotten penalized. I don't even know if it's really possible to because. 
if he got penalized for goaltender interference, they'd have had to overturn the the goal, wouldn't they? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it, depending on when it happened, but I think I think that's the issue. Is this, you know, it, at what point is the is the play over? And even if the play is over, does it matter? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I suppose if you get in a fight after a whistle, then you can get penalized for that. So maybe they could have assessed a penalty afterwards. Um, I. I didn't like what James Neal did, and I can totally uh, understand why uh, why Dubnik did uh, didn't like that. Why, why he took exception to that? Right. Um, I can also see, you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess I can see both sides. I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't get too worked up about stuff like that. Right. I, I think the reaction from a lot of uh, Predators fans was was in was after the game when Dubnik said that he almost got killed. <laughs> <laughs> We were like, whoa, dude. I, I think we, you know, uh, who was it that Gustav Nyquist almost killed the other day? Uh, it was uh, it was Jared Spurgeon, and he almost gouged his eyes out. Yeah, like that dude, yeah. that dude almost got killed. I don't know that Dubnik almost got killed. Yeah, I, I thought that Dubnik's uh, reaction was maybe a little hyperbolic. And, and you know what? It takes a lot to get him fired up, too. Like, uh, he's uh, he's apparently just this super chill guy. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of funny to see him... Uh, him uh react in uh in a what seemed like a hyperbolic way and uh and judging by uh james neal's twitter history <laughs> uh, he seemed to find it funny too yeah exactly james neal liked a tweet from uh who was it russo that tweeted that out who so uh, uh who was it that tweeted out that who, uh, the reaction it, it was mike russo it was just yeah, being right. cheeky oh, okay <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah. Anyways, James Neal apparently liked that tweet because he knew uh, he knew there was something a little bit a little bit on the edge going on. Uh, and yeah, Preds fans are well, at least I would hope are at least a little bit aware that James, of James Neal's reputation throughout the league. Um, and uh, you know, that's it's it's uh, it is what it is. I mean, he's one of the guys that you, when he's on your team, you, you really enjoy having him. And uh, if he's not, then uh, you probably hate him. So. <laughs> And I wish more people in the wild were like that. I wish uh, I wish Nino needed. Right? I know that uh, he gets uh, he gets into scrums every now and then, but I kind of wish there was a little bit more. I mean, you don't want to see someone go after someone's head, of course, but like I, I wish there was just a little bit more of that from Nino Niederreiter, for example. <laughs> well, yeah, Niederreiter's having having a fantastic year, by the way. He's uh, oh, he's you're a telling really, me, really great uh, sort of resurgence. I, I I think were were people disappointed in his production to this point, prior to this year. Um, I think I think it depends on who you talk to. Hockey Wilderness has been a, a general in general. Hockey Wilderness has been just a huge Nino Niederreiter booster for years now. Um, he, he's never really had the ice time to get super uh, productive numbers. Even now, uh, he has. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. He has 43 points, but that's coming in 15 minutes and three seconds of ice time a night. Yeah, like this guy has never gotten even now. Arguably, like he's not getting the run that he deserves, so that's kind of artificially deflating his numbers. But um, I know, I know there are some people who aren't in the wild fan base who aren't overly enamored with Nino Niederreiter. But I think a lot are coming around. If they didn't come around, you know, two years ago. Yeah, I think if you had asked most hockey fans, okay, you know, in mid February, the Wild are going to be a, this like offensive juggernaut. Who's going to be leading their team in goals? Probably Niederreiter wouldn't be at the top of that list, I would imagine. 
Uh, yeah, probably that would go to uh, Zach Parise. Zach right. Parise is really like, and that's the thing is, is he's really taking a secondary role, Parise, and you're seeing all these guys emerge, and and it'll be interesting to see when uh, the reality of like who's really doing or who's really uh, doing the the work for Minnesota catches up with the uh, perception of Zach Parise being like the absolute 100% leader of this team. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit more about Nino Niederreiter. Because okay. uh, the thing, I just love this dude. This guy's amazing. <laughs> He's everything and and, and uh, I will be I will be so sad if Minnesota can't lock him down to a restricted free agency thing. So I gotta, I gotta boost his case whenever possible. Uh, Niederreiter is not only super great offensively, he's also incredible defensively. He's he's really great on both sides of the puck. Um, if you look at uh, if you look at like the defensive numbers with the Minnesota Wild over the past few years, uh, Niederreiter in terms of preventing shot attempts is absolutely one of the best in the league. And he single-handedly makes pretty much any line that he's on super great defensively. So, so do you think that the the combination of because he's been, he's been playing with Eric Stahl most of the year, correct? Uh, he's really bounced around. He he kind of bounces around that top line with Eric Stahl and down on the the third line with either Charlie Coyle recently or okay. uh, for most of the season Eric Halla. Right. So, I mean, do you think that Stahl at least is the Stahl influence a little bit? Is that is that boosted him to some extent? Need writer. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it was the other way around. Honestly, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Stall has been. I mean, you got. I, I got to hand it to to the to the Wild. I mean, I, I don't know if it's Boudreaux or or just a fresh, you know, fresh team, but but he looks like a different, totally different player than than uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, mostly watched the uh, the Western Conference, and, and uh, even then, like. Uh, Probably most of the games that I watch are, are wild games, so I don't get to see too much of Eric Stahl. So I can't speak to him before uh, this season too much, as in like, oh, I, I watch this guy play every game or anything like that. Um, but I know that coming into the year, I know that he had that disastrous uh, tenure with uh, with the New York Rangers, where it, it kind of looked like he was cooked. Right. Um, and uh, and even then, his his numbers had been declining uh, before. But um, yeah. No, he's he's really having a great season. I think part of it is you know being placed in you know maybe a, maybe a little better situation than he was in Carolina. Maybe some better line mates than he was with in Carolina. But oh, I can uh, definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> but to his credit, you know, like he's done really well. I know that he had that thirteen game uh, goalless streak that he just snapped last night with the empty netter, which that shouldn't count. You oh shouldn't... yeah, I didn't realize he had a streak going. Uh, oh yeah, he had streak. a. He had a 13 game goalless streak uh, that he snapped with that empty netter last night. Oh, well, that um, was what? That, that at least he got it. Like got off the schneid. Oh, I know, I know, but I, I'm just saying that shouldn't count for yeah. a goalless streak. You know, <laughs> you got to beat somebody to end that in my mind. Um, right. But oh, where was I? I totally forgot. Well, we were talking about Niederreiter originally. Yeah, and then we moved on to Stall and just uh, his resurgence. Okay. Um, but Stahl's done even in uh, in the streak where he hasn't been scoring so much. He's done such a great job in driving play, and really Stahl's value to the roster I feel is pushing guys like uh, well Charlie Coyle uh, was at uh, he's at center now, but um, he was pushed to wing most of the season, and that's generally been where he's been best at. And uh, especially Granlin, especially being able to push Granlin to wing that that's been just some huge added value for Stahl. That goes beyond even his, you know, point totals or his on ice contributions. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I apologize if I'm moving moving too quickly here, but I, I just I have to ask you about Jared Spurgeon because look, uh, I think all I mean all Predators fans know Ryan Suter, um, but I feel like a lot of the league doesn't necessarily know about Jared Spurgeon. Um, what is he? I mean, what has he meant for that team? Because he seems to be, I mean. I, I don't want to go out of line here, but is, is he the best defender on that team, or is it still Suter? No, no, he's the best, and he's arguably been the best for a couple of years. Uh, Jared Spurgeon is everything to me <laughs> and, and, and the state of hockey. He's uh, he's really good, and I, I, I noticed that he has started to be, like, really or like he's starting to be recognized but he's starting to be recognized with like a qualifier like oh look at that little guy go you he, that he's great for a little guy and it's just like <laughs> no guys he, he's just great he doesn't have to be great for like a five nine guy right. um no uh so much of what he does uh, uh sorry um he's a first of all he's a really great puck mover he's so good in transition because he's really good at uh at being able to position defenders um or not defenders i'm sorry uh to push opponents away uh from you know the net i think jared spurgeon has the i can't remember who tweeted this out but i think um it was um evan spore um he uh he used to be at blue shirt banter on sb nation and, and he's done some work with uh the minnesota wild in recent years um but he tweeted out yesterday that Jared Spurgeon has the highest scoring chances for percentage over the last two years with almost 60%. Um, wow. Yeah, no, that really speaks to just how well he's able to um, stop the uh, the opponent's attack before it even happens. And once the puck gets on the stick, you saw it tonight on uh, the uh, – or sorry, not tonight. You saw it last night on the goal, the first goal that Zucker scored – where he uh, picks a puck off the boards after just kind of a, a battle between a few different Predators and Wild guys. He uh, he picks the puck off the boards, and immediately he gets it to Gramlin up the ice that sets up the two-on-one that Zucker scored on. That just kind of encapsulates what Spurgeon's able to do in the transition game. And then you add his... Uh, he's really good on the power play. He's, he's one of the better power play goal scorers in the league. I love this guy. Yeah, it, it, just in, in uh, what I've seen of him. Again, I don't I don't necessarily follow him that much, and uh, but what I saw last night and what I've seen so far this year uh, for for Predators fans to understand, he's a little bit he's he's mostly like Ryan Ellis. I mean, Ryan Ellis is this shorter, kind of smaller s- smaller uh, physical frame, uh, you know, Canadian defense puck moving defenseman that uh, that really likes to get up and, and move move the puck up the ice, but is a great passer. Good on the power play, um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think a lot of Predators fans would uh, would compare him to to maybe Ryan Ellis, and, and to be honest, Ryan Ellis is probably a top pairing defenseman now too. I don't know if he's necessarily uh, as good, or he's just he's very similar to Spurgeon in that in that regard. Yeah, where it, it, there's nothing like flashy. There's always like um, in in Minnesota. Ryan Suter gets a lot of Jared Spurgeon, the attention that should go to Jared Spurgeon uh, in. Um, in Nashville, PK Subban's always going to get that. Uh, before that, Shea Weber was always going to get that. Roman Yossi's always going to get that because he's, uh, you know, they're the ones like scoring the points. Right. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to understate the value that uh, that a dude like Ellis and a dude like Spurgeon can bring to a team. Yeah, and 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 a lot of the conversations that that uh, that the the crew at on the forecheck and everybody around us is is talking about is uh, are we going to trade for Matt Duchesne? And if 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 we do. 
is that going to involve Ryan Ellis or Matthias Ekholm? And I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely in the mode of stand pat, and there's no way you get rid of a uh, quality defenseman like that for just a couple years of a of a second line center. But that's just me. But anyways, <laughs> I like Matt Duchesne a bit more than that. But yeah, it would be really hard to. I, I I certainly wouldn't trade Jared Spurgeon off my roster to get Matt Duchesne. Right, and 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 Ellis's contract is just so much better, and and, and Ekholm's as well. But um, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we we mentioned him briefly uh, about Zach Parise. So, um, so is he basically a third line winger now? Is that is that kind of what his role is? I mean, if it is, I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I mean, he's a pretty overpaid third line winger, but is that is that his role? Um, third, third is, fourth line guy. I mean, it is right now. I guess I don't know. I the the thing is, uh, what you got to understand with the Wild is that they're moving so many people up and down the lineup. There, uh, Bruce Boudreaux is changing out pieces and and swapping stuff around on a pretty nightly basis. The only line that he hasn't really touched as of late is uh, the Koivu line, and, and you know, hard to knock him yeah, for doing that for good reason. But it, yeah, but everyone else seems to just kind of have their assignments come and go. But I, I guess it would be fair to say Parise's... I don't know that he's still getting almost 18 minutes a night when he's on the ice. He, he's leading the team in shots still. Oh, wow. And that's after missing uh, That's after missing almost 10 games. Like, I don't know. He, he started out really uh, poor earlier. Um, the thing about Parise is whenever he gets injured like he did... Um, earlier this year, he always comes back too soon, and, and you know the results. Uh, the results don't come back right away when it comes, or like mm. the the normal Zach Parise results don't come back right away when he gets back because he doesn't come back when he's fully healthy. And the right. Wilders so deep that they could have, or he could have afforded to sit out until he was healthy. But that's fine. That's neither here or there. Um, he's actually firing the puck a ton over the last ten or eleven games or so. So and he started to be rewarded for that a little bit. I I suspect that uh, if if that continues, you probably won't think of him as a third or fourth line player when it comes to be playoff time. But right, right now, yeah, that that's kind of what he's been. Right, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, let me ask you about these uh, sort of some of some of the younger guys that have come up and and uh, played for the Wild this year, and, and uh, who who you feel has the most promise? Guys like Eric Halla, um, uh, Alex. Tuk? Is it Tuke or Tuck? Tuck. 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 Okay. Yep. Uh, and then also, he was, I don't think he's on the roster now, but uh, Erickson Eck. Um, like those guys, who of those uh, of those do you see the most promise in? For me, it's definitely Erickson Eck. I, I, I thought a lot of um, what he was able to do and step into the NHL as a, I think he was 19 this year, um, and be able to to put up some points on lane, on lane, on lane, on lane, on lane, on lane really excited to see him next year and I, i've been kind of lukewarm on tuck throughout pretty much since the wild drafted him but i i've liked a lot of what i saw from him in his uh in his time with the nhl this season um when he's going he hasn't been going for the last couple games but when he's going he's so big on the puck he's so hard to knock off and, and he seems to have a good eye for uh being able to uh to just kind of always be around it um and uh and some willingness to go to the net. I, I've liked that, but uh but man, if I could have Ericsson Eck back on this team today, he's in Sweden right now. <laughs> Halfway or a world away in Sweden. But man, I what I would do to have Ericsson Eck on this team today as the Wilder making a playoff push. 
Okay, yeah, I, I, that's who I thought. What, what about Eric Halla? Because um, I'd seen. I mean, I think he's gotten the most the most uh, playing time out of out of those three that I mentioned. But um, has he been? Uh, has he been a, a, a? What has he done that's impressed you? Halla's really good. Um, he's not like he's not as good. Certainly, I think as as guys like Zucker, Niederreiter, um, Coyle, Granlin. He's not in that class, but he came up right around with those guys. Uh, so he's been an NHLer for a while. I, I think th- there are two things that I think are pretty impressive from him. Uh, one is is his uh, speed and how he's able to use that to, to create opportunities for himself and for his teammates. I, I think that that's just such an, a huge asset. Everyone calls Minnesota a fast team, and maybe they are. Uh, I'm not 100% sure like how I would rank them in, in terms of fastest teams. But Halla and Zucker are really the guys on the team that bring the elite, elite speed to the table. Um, and, and secondly, I, I think he's done really well defensively, too. Um, you, you've seen him uh, on the third line for most of the year, and then he got dropped down on the fourth line because they're trying out Charlie Coyle at center. And I think Halla's responded really well in, in both roles and, and been able to um, really contribute on both sides of the puck. Great, great, good stuff. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want to ask you about uh, the Boudreaux factor and see uh, what your what your thoughts are on that. So, uh, uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Predcast. Uh, I'm Alex. I'm here with Tony, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. We are here with uh, Tony from Hockey Wilderness. And um, so I want to ask you about, uh, before we let you go, I, I, I've got to ask you about Boudreaux because essentially, you know, Mike Yo leaves after last year or he gets fired after last year. And Boudreaux comes in with essentially the same roster aside from Eric Stahl and uh, has turned this team just completely around to this Western Conference, you know, dominant team. And, uh, and, headed for what looks like to me you know a, a, certainly a Jack Adams finalist if not the winner of the coach of the year uh, so what exactly has Boudreaux meant for uh, for that for that team so far what are, what are your takes on uh, what he's done I think he's been huge for the team when you look at where the team was last year it really seemed like it was in shambles and it seemed like they had totally botched their chance at their Stanley Cup window um, the veterans were all fading the uh, the young guys, the guys who were 25 and under at that time uh, that are about 26 and under now, uh, weren't taking off. It looked like their careers had stalled out for the most part. And Boudreaux steps in, and what he seems to do is he seems to identify what everyone's good at and have them do what they're good at, which I think is a good uh, a good thing for a coach to do. It seems so easy. <laughs> it's such it an does. easy idea. It does, right? But I, I think what kind of creeps in is you just have these ideas of how the game works, and you try to kind of mold everyone into doing this. So it's not good enough for Jason Zucker to be a sniper who's going to score 20, 25 goals this year and, and get 55 points. You know, you, you want to make that guy a two-way player because, you know, that's the guy – that wins games in, in you know Mike Yo's mind, um, but what's <laughs> what's been really nice is that Boudreaux steps in and he's like Jason Zucker, you're really fast and you score a lot. Go do that. And what what's happened is everything else has really seemed to take care of itself. He, he seems to mesh pretty well defensively, which was the knock on him before 
with um with Koivu and Gramlin, and his playmaking has just been unreal. He had ten assists last year. That was a career high for him. He's up to twenty three right now. And some of the passes that he makes are, are some of the most beautiful passes you've ever seen, uh, especially from a guy from uh, uh, who is a one-dimensional guy, or at least considered to be a one-dimensional guy as recently as October. Um, right, right. Mikhail, uh, Mikhail Granlin's another player where uh, Mike Yo had tried to hammer this guy uh, into the uh, the square, or he tried to hammer the square peg into the round hole of being a, a Miko Koivu two way center. And Boudreaux steps in and he's like, "No, you're good at playmaking. Go do that." And <laughs> he's done that. And, and again, like so many other aspects of his game have blossomed now that he's been able to do exactly the thing that he does best. Um, his, his, his scoring, he has 17 goals. I looked it up last night. It took him 155 games to score his first 17 goals in his career. And he wow. has 17 and 58 this year. Uh, his defense has been really amazing alongside Miko Koivu. So that's been uh, that's been the Boudreaux effect to me. Right, right. It, it, and it seems like, you know, not only are the players allowed to play the way that they're comfortable in, it, it seems like they're they're leading the team. You know, the, the natural leaders on this team are, are kind of, uh, doing that without someone looking over their shoulder or someone trying to force leadership on them. It's just sort of happening naturally. Is that what you'd see? I, I, I don't want to get into that stuff too much just because I'm not in, in like the room or anything like that. Um, and yeah, th- that kind of strikes me as intangible type stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and that's not the, the realm. That's not my lane. Right, but, right, uh, right. But it, it's interesting what you said about about Jason Zucker. So I mean, because obviously with his speed and his scoring scoring ability, he's still able to do that. But then also sort of grow this other part of his team, and that that has to be coaching right there. Oh, absolutely. Um, like like I said, just like it's it's like you said, it seems so easy, right? You're going to get the best out of your team by having your team do what they do best. And it seems like such a simple concept, but it's been so revelatory in Minnesota. Right, yeah. And in, in, in Pred world, uh, the Predators fan world, where there's some frustration about, about Peter Laviolette. I, I, some of that is merited, and I, some of it's not. I, I'm per, Personally, I'm still confident that Laviolette has the uh, the tools to make this work. But uh, there, there is, you know, there's only so much paint you can tear off the walls uh, in, in a second intermission, you know, when you're down. And... To some extent, that doesn't work anymore. To some extent, it does. Some guys react to that. Some guys don't. But you know, he obviously he still knows offense. Um, the defense has been fine. Uh, you know, coaching coaching is one of those things. It's just so hard to really know how much uh, how effective it is. And Laviolette's still a you know historically a one of the better coaches in the league. So um, I, I would like to to. To, to kind of sit a lot of Predators fans down and be like, look, I think I think he's still a good coach. Let's maybe figure out, you know, why Craig Smith is not scoring as consistently as he should, or maybe why the defense keeps getting injured, or uh, you know, last year Pecorine has the worst career of his of a uh, worst year of his career, and maybe that's not coaching. So, um, but it, you guys have got to be pretty excited now. The, I guess the only thing to worry about is the uh, the old Game Seven. Uh, Game seven worry. <laughs> does that <laughs> does that come up at all? Are you guys worried about what happens in a game seven? Um, you know what? I, I think a lot of people in Minnesota after last year are just excited to get to a game seven. <laughs> uh, 
but you know what's really funny is that uh, that a lot is made of the Bruce Boudreaux Game Seven curse, and and we can talk about whether it's uh, it's a thing or not. Uh, we've looked into it, and it's a lot of goaltending issues. And there are things yeah. that a coach can control, and there are things that a co- coach can't control. And uh, and goaltending seems to be mostly the latter. Um, but what's really funny is nobody mentions when they're talking about how Bruce Boudreaux doesn't win Game 7s or whatever. Minnesota's never lost a Game 7. <laughs> so a good point. Yeah. Well, and and uh, in in a in a playoff series, I would say that you guys are probably going to be set with a guy like Devin Dubnik back there. So um, we we haven't really talked about him yet, but but Dubnik is, um, gosh, just I mean I don't even I, there's no words to from our from from Predators fans end like I mean the guy the guy played two games for the Predators and gave up nine goals in two games, and so we're like. Well, we don't we don't need this guy. <laughs> and then he goes up to to Minnesota and just um has has his career basically set out for him now. Yeah, the tube abides, man. The tube abides. Yeah, so well, uh listen Tony, I know uh we've got to get a run, so um I appreciate your time uh visiting with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Anytime and uh um we uh will probably see each other down the road the predators play uh the wild april 1st in nashville and then who knows maybe in the playoffs too right now it looks like the predators have a pretty good chance of facing either the wild or the blackhawks in the playoffs so uh i guess we'll uh we'll see you around is it as terrifying for you as it is for me (laughs) i don't know it's like i think we were talking uh, off air I, i think the predators are either gonna they're either going to play the Wild and uh, not score a goal in four games, or they're going to play the Blackhawks and be up like 3-1 in the series, and then uh, it'll all come crashing down and the Blackhawks will be moving on. So uh, I don't know. You just pick pick your poison for Nashville. Yeah, you know what, though? I, I think we were talking about this off-air, too. I, I don't know who in the Western Conference that I want to see in round one. Right. That's a good point. How about Colorado? I'd face them in round one. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, that's that's not terrible, right? Uh, <laughs> even Calgary, like Calgary, seems like they would be uh, a really easy opponent. But I think Minnesota's lost all three games to Calgary this year, so it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there, you're right. There's there's not a great um, a great first round matchup for anyone, but uh, I guess there's a long way to go till we get there. So uh, I, I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, again, thanks so much, Alex. All right, we'll see you later, and uh, we'll be right back uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Actually, hang on, sorry. And welcome back. You're listening to the podcast, and uh, we are here talking with uh, Lincoln Mario. Hey, just still doing all right. Yep, still here. Okay, good. <laughs> Holding it together. Um, well, we don't have any more games to talk about, but I wanted to mention this one thing. Uh, there are no more games. They're nope. over. End of the season was yesterday. Uh, rewinding the tape a little bit, I, I wanted to, to just mention this because I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, you don't really get a whole lot of real quotable things from from hockey players. I mean, every now and then you get some some interesting, like maybe some little quips here and there, but you rarely get anything like what happened in Buffalo last Sunday after the... Sabers lose to the Canucks four to two. Robin Leonard went on this like three minute diatribe about his team, uh, saying things like, "I think it's disrespectful when we have a game plan. We're going through things. The last few days we've been going through how to play our second period. Coach brought it up. You know, coming up with a good game plan. We do the exact opposite. We don't do what he said. 
that gets me angry. I think it gets a lot of guys angry. It's disrespectful. I think that's the word. Uh, Robin Leonard is Swedish, so his in, the English is a little bit a little bit uh, he, he, broken. But sw- Swedish with a pronounced Canadian accent, which is always fun. <laughs> uh, he again goes on to talk about. He says, you know, we haven't done anything in this league. The only guy that won a cup was Brian Gianta. Um, the rest of us, we haven't done anything. Coach, ba- he really sticks up for his coach Dan Bilesma. Um, which I think is interesting. Uh, Bilesma has been kind of on the hot seat all year. Well, Bilesma, I will say, did, because um, he was asked about Leonard's comments and was also supportive of Leonard as well. Yeah. He actually agreed. Oh, yeah, he very he very much agreed. The, the real key to this, I think, is when, and I think a lot of people interpret this as talking about Jack Eichel. Um, he says, look at the veteran teams. Uh, the good teams out there, they do the same thing over and over again. When things happen, they fall back on the structure. Structure bails them out. We have a structure, but we don't play it. If we go we go to chip it deep or do what we're supposed to do, we say, let's do another deke, let's do another play. No, let's do the fancy thing, <laughs> which I think is his way of saying, uh, instead of chipping the puck deep or instead of playing to uh, paying a pass to a teammate, trying to, to, to be fancy. Now, in that game, particularly in that game, um, the Canucks were beating the Sabres 3-2 to two late in the third, and uh, Michael Chaput scores a goal... Um, to make it 4-2, just after Jack Eichel had turned the puck over, uh, somewhere in the neutral zone, I think, trying to deke somebody. Now, here's the thing. Jack Eichel's a great talent. He's a very, very talented young player. Um, Robin Leonard is a sort of mid-tier goaltender. I mean, he's not really anything too too crazy. He's, he's a starting goaltender up. for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. <laughs> just leave it at that. Um, I just thought this was, this was interesting that you have... Uh, now, the, the Sabres are, by the way, not that far out of a playoff spot. I mean, they could easily make they the playoffs. The Atlantic. Yeah. Doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> but they could, you know, they could do this. It's just so interesting that this particular player just calls out the best player on the team uh, saying that he's doing too, too much fancy stuff and uh, that, you know... He shouldn't be doing this. You listen to the coach. Where, do you guys do you guys have any reactions to to what uh, Robin Leonard said? I mean, especially with him being a young skill player, it takes time for them to learn how to pick their spots, so they can figure out when they can do the fancy play and when they do need to just chip it deep. And probably the fancy of, thing, yeah, the fancy thing, the fancy thing. And a lot of the younger players nowadays always want to do the fancy thing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I've heard a lot of Buffalo fans talking about the coach and the system they're they're trying to play and how it's just not working, especially with Jack Eichel's deployment. So I don't give Leonard that much credit either. Yeah, because I, like, I, I wanted to rewatch the play. I mean, I didn't watch that. I didn't watch the Buffalo Vancouver game because I don't what? hate my time. I value my time. <laughs> we might have been recording um, actually. Yeah, it's actually that's possible as well. So I just wanted, I went went back and watched watched it as as kind of another reminder. And the thing also, I, the thing I take away from that is, I mean, Eichel did a high high risk play that, frankly, even if it had been successful. There's no indication that it would have resulted in any real offensive threat going forward. And he didn't play any defense after that either. Uh, I, it was it was just it was really a very very bad decision. Um, there were easy decisions to make, um, but that goes back to what Mario was saying. I mean, sometimes you know when you especially when you're younger playing the league, you just make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, getting steamed over that, yeah. I mean, maybe be upset, but I, I don't know if if. Uh, bring it up in the meeting, call it disrespectful, unless there's a pattern. I mean, it, it, there had to have to go a layer deeper. But, sure. Yeah, if they uh, have like dressing room issues, but I know Leonard's a pretty fiery guy, anyways. Yeah, he, yeah. When he he got pulled in a game against the Penguins, I think, and was just throwing all the gear on the on the bench. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it. And I, I just I can't imagine 
a scenario in which Pecorine, or in the future, UC Soros, comes out and, and in, the, in a post-game uh, says something about, you know, that Philip Forsberg has taken too many chances or, or that, uh, you know, I don't know, any, anyone on the team, Yarncroak or, or Subban or someone like that, is, is taking too many chances and doing too much fancy stuff. I just can't imagine that. Yarncroak doing all too much uh, fancy yeah, stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, I would, be in, I would have picked like Kevin Fiala. Well, that would have been or, like just a bit of satire. It'd be like, Yarncroak was being too fancy. Like, wow, that was, a, that was insane. Uh, no, I think uh, I just can't imagine that scenario. Yeah, it's just a personality thing. Like, Rooney's very, you know, quiet and nice and Finnish, and Leonard, like, will fight you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, it, it struck me as, uh, as interesting, and I uh, just wanted to bring it up. Um, let's get to some Twitter questions. Um, we, got, we got a few this week from uh, some loyal listeners. Uh, this one made me laugh. Uh, any chance that uh, <laughs> the Predators bust out a welcome home tribute for Ryan Johansson on Tuesday? This comes oh. from at Preds oh. Angry Fan. If if the Predators did that, if they did a tribute video for Ryan Johansson, I was like a welcome home. I would be the happiest person. That'd be so great. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of those really stupid controversies that I'm sure everyone's taking way more seriously than Ryan Johansson is. Like he yeah. probably meant it as like a weird joke, and Ryan Johansson is very can be very difficult to read sometimes. I, I feel like like mm-hmm. I feel like he's got his own little world going on. <laughs> Uh, which I love, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, but I just I would love the Predators did that. In case you in case you didn't catch it, the the, the Blue Jackets did not play any kind of a tribute or, or welcome home to Ryan Johansson on Sunday night, and uh, he was asked about it after the game, and he just said kind of like, yeah, it was odd, you know, there wasn't anything like that, you know, and he said something about I know who made the call, in, insinuating that Columbus was the one that was trying to move him. So uh, um, I mean Tortorella, yeah, right. Well, there was some, like some people didn't know who, if it was Tortorella or if it was Davidson or if it was Kekalainen. There, it doesn't really. I mean, matter. no. I mean, no one knows what Kekalainen is thinking at any given moment. <laughs> uh, but man, that would be pretty great. Yeah, oh. I'm 100 percent in favor of that happening. It would be funny. I think Jansen would, would laugh really hard, and just the Preds making fun of the Blue Jackets would be awesome. I mean, that's uh, that's historic. That goes way way back. I mean, it's always been that way with the Predators and the, and, and the Blue Jackets. Right. And I think this would give the Predators some really, like, a strong position in relation to the two teams. Because, yeah. I mean, the Blue Jackets definitely got to, to like, weird sports Twitter first. Um, and the Predators have still are sort of kind of flirting with the concept. I uh-huh. mean, they're, they're closer to weird sports Twitter. <laughs> um, but this would, this would give them something to really work with. That's, that's true. So uh, next one comes from at a Wenzel 22 um, a frequent commenter, and uh, his question is, which do you like better, Wilson Fisher Neal or Wilson Yarncroak Neal? I like this question because um, I don't think that you would have had, I would have definitely gone with Wilson Fisher Neal, especially given the playoff history last year. Wilson Yarncroak Neal, though, has had some good success recently. I'd say, I I, I like Yarncroak as a center right now anyways, no matter where he is, and uh, I think with his type of play, you can put whoever else around him and they'll succeed. Uh, plus, I think we saw some pretty good things with Fisher and Fiala last night. You know, that's actually, that is interesting because um, having Wilson, Yarncroak, Neal together is a really interesting line because you have Yarncroak who can play really solid two-way hockey. Wilson, who, you know, doesn't get as much credit as he deserves for a lot of his, his back and forth transition play, who is also a really good setup passer. 
Um, and then Neil, who just wants to shoot. And there's also a surprising amount of just toughness and and size. I mean, not not that Yarno Kirk's huge, but but certainly Wilson's a big body. Neil's a pretty is a pretty decent sized guy. So there's there's a lot working in in that line's favor. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I really like that line, especially having and opening up Fisher to be on a line with say Smith and Fiala. So you sort of able to uh, spread the skill out some more. And Yarncrook, he's shown that if you if you put him on a line with skilled players, he can actually produce. You know what I think? I, the reason I like the Yarncrook in in the middle there instead of Fisher, I really think the Yarncrook is a more disciplined player. Uh, Fisher takes some penalties. He gets in fights with people, puts himself in the penalty box for five minutes. Yarncrook doesn't do that. I mean, he got in the fight that one time because the guy basically let's asked not, him to. Let's let's not bring that up. That was <laughs> that sad. wasn't even that him. That was a hard moment for us as a fan base. He wasn't even. I mean, he was just like drawn into he this. He clearly didn't know what was happening. Yeah, right, that's right. And true. I can't believe he actually was penalized for whatever it was he did out there. But I, you know, I don't I don't have this pulled in front of me. But I, I'm just guessing that that Yarncroke's penalty minutes per sixty is probably pretty low. Uh, definitely lower than Fisher's because of the fights and stuff. So. I don't know. I, I like I like that uh, 33, 19, 18 uh, combination just because it's probably very defensively f- responsible but also has a chance to score goals. And you, know, you know how many uh, penalty minutes that he has that, that at le- in his career? Young Croak? He's got, um, and this is at least regular season. I don't think it's his playoff. Um, 51. And that's in what? In like, four seasons. Yeah, that's not, not a too lot. bad. That's pretty dang good. He knows exactly what not to do. Uh, he's read the rule book probably like, he probably reads the rule book at night before he goes to bed. What Make, make sure I don't do this. I just, I mean, it, he's a responsible quality player. I don't think he needs to even read the rule book. <laughs> he just doesn't put himself in position where positions where he needs to take penalties. He just, no, he's, because he just downloads the latest rule book update to his brain and then just knows it. Are you? I th- I thought he was a backwoodsy Swede, not a, not a, not a robo well, Swede. He's, he has kind of different, like, skins sort of so to speak he's the backwoodsy guy but he's also just the robot so you're saying he's got depth yeah of character and personality i think that's fair yeah (laughs) um so someone else asked about yarn asking if he's a long-term solution this is from at boyd underscore 1212 since we're talking about him legit long-term solution at 2c i mean his career hires 30 points he's got 22 this season so far Mm mm-hmm Maybe he'll he needs to he needs to be higher than than career thirty on a consistent basis to be a two C. Maybe if he's deployed with players like Wilson and Neal all season long, he will produce higher you know, points. But I, for me, I think he's more of a utility player. We play him where we need him. He's not really a long term solution at two C. Cool, sounds good. At Murray underscore T. <laughs> nice, that's some nice clean no, answering, just, guys. Some I like clean, it. good quality answering. I didn't have anything else to add, so. Moving on. At Murray underscore T underscore A says, uh, what's your preferred division of labor, labor spelled with an O-U-R, between Rene and Soros for the remainder of the season? And he says, does Maz factor in at all? And I would say that's a big no. But uh, division of labor, so like uh, 50-50 in terms of like starts, um, 50-50, is it 60-40? I know mine would be 50-50. I'd say just alternate starts no matter what. So the question I'd ask in response to that question is going to be is kind of a rhetorical one, and that is, who would the Predators expect to be their starting goalkeeper in the playoffs? Now, my assumption is that the answer is Rene. If that is the correct answer, and they're going to expect him to play every single playoff game until the Predators either win a cup or are eliminated, then 
like a 50-50 split I think is is great because you want Pekka to be as fresh and rested as possible and Saros can carry the burden and he needs to get experience for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I believe Stu Grimson was on the radio today talking about that very question and he said be like a two-to-one split, and I think that's very reasonable. A 50-50 might be a better option, especially to make sure Renee is rested, but I think two-to-one is sort of probably what they're going to roll with. I, I, I would love 50-50 to happen. I, I doubt it does. Um, and to be honest, it's really not even... I, I don't even know if I necessarily want 50-50. I would say, like, out of every six starts, Renee gets four. I, I mean, so I guess it's really more of a two-to-one, but I, I don't... It sort of just depends on the matchups, and there's a lot of back-to-backs coming up, so... Um, there's that to deal with as well. Last question comes from at CHC Vols. Is there a reason to prefer a wild card position as opposed to a probable matchup with Chicago? Now, right now, I looked it up on Sports Club Stats. There's like basically almost a 50% chance that the Preds will either face the Wild or the Blackhawks in the first round right now. Not, not That doesn't sound great, but there's also a chance they could face... Um, well, who else could they face? They could face L.A. Who's in first? Is it San Jose in first? Yeah, in the, San Jose, sorry. Yeah, it would be San Jose. And I think the Oilers, which I doubt they're going to get it, but they're within striking distance of first. Yes. So those are the, those four options. You're right. Right now it looks like it's likely the Wild, Blackhawks, or, or San Jose. If no, no, no. Minnesota's in first. Oh, you're talking about just the... Talking about the Pacific. Oh, the Pacific. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about, I was thinking the entire West. But uh, the, the point remains, is there a reason to prefer... One matchup over the other. Um, would you rather the wild card and, and uh, have, maybe have to travel out west like we did last year? For me, I think I would prefer to not play Chicago, not necessarily because I don't think we could beat them, but because there's some sort of weird mental block or voodoo going on where it seems like we are their springboard into winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and, and certainly Chicago, I mean, in, in, in Quinville's approach to, to coaching is to make the playoffs and then turn the engine on. Uh, Boudreaux, he starts to change this at the beginning of the season and he gets everything he can, everything that he can out of his team. Now, I still, I've said it, you know, I said it weeks ago, the the wild are not like you look at it on paper, take the coaching factor out and they're just sort of like a decent team. Well, you take that, you take a decent team and you play them at a level this high where they're leading. I think they're currently the favorites for the president's trophy. Yeah. And you grind a a fairly like your key players are on the older side. By the time the playoffs roll around, they're going to maybe be slowing down, and they're going to be going through a grinding schedule. And may that may slow them down further. So I would much rather play a team that busted their asses through the regular season, win the Presidents Trophy, and then fizzle out because they're they're worn out. We we've seen Boudreaux teams do that time and time and time again. Yeah. So I mean, the big criticism against him is that his teams don't do all in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they keep winning trophies in the regular season. I just have this feeling that if they face the Wild in the first round, they're not going to score a goal. Not even one. I don't know. I feel like what Link is talking about, but also maybe the way they, the way that the NHL plays differently in the playoffs versus the regular season, where it's a lot more tight checking. So obviously that's how the Wild play all season long. But the Preds start doing that too. I don't know, maybe they'd be able to sort of I don't know, grind out a few wins there. I, I think I think the Predators are well set up for for uh, a um, Vern Fiddler like goal streak in the playoffs. <laughs> I think he steps in there, picks up like eight goals yeah. in like the first two rounds or something, or the first. You know, While we're like saying crazy things, <laughs> I want my pound of flesh, and I want to play the Blackhawks in the first round. 
and I want to beat them. That's what I want. You're, Who's you're, with me? Hey, you're, you, mm. <laughs> Who's with me? Not only do we have the whole voodoo mental block thing going on, we also have to deal with playing them in the playoffs yeah. and all, everything that goes along with that. Yeah, the, the, it's pretty much a nightmare down down on uh, Broadway. Yeah. And inside the, re- the arena. I, I went to, I did go to a Blackhawks game. I went to the one game we won two years ago where Forsberg had the hat trick. And that was fun. That was, that was a great environment, but... Man, that's the only that's the only Blackhawks game at, at the uh, Bridgestone Arena I've ever enjoyed. All the rest are miserable experiences. If I can go a postseason without hearing the 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 Blackhawks, um, uh, you know, national anthem tradition, I'll be happy. Yeah, I actually like I I can put up with like the goal song and everything. I mean, it's it's grating and annoying, but who cares? But like the whole thing, like the all the the screaming and sharing the national anthem, I cannot. Ab- that <laughs> um i mute the tv until i can tell it's over yeah if they're playing if they're playing it's, it's pretty frustrating so i don't know if we answered the question but uh there, there's not a lot of good options i think uh all the options seem uncomfortable and uh i don't know that we want to play the san we didn't mention it but san jose playing them in the first round would not be fun i i i love playing the sharks though I love watching the Sharks play. I love watching teams play the Sharks they're kind of a different um, team this a year, series though. yeah but a series against san jose is always a lot of fun um, I mean, you get to see Pavelski and you and Burns and uh, and Marlowe and Thor. I mean, it's just it's. And the thing is, I also generally like the Sharks players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they tend to be some of the more calm, reasonable night. Like it, the team doesn't really have. And I'm getting Mars kind of making faces over there. Um, I don't hate the Sharks either, but I've got like a very positive perception of of their players for the most part in comparison to other teams in the league. And so I get excited for for series against the Sharks just because I, I like to see them play and I and I like to see teams compete against them, and it'd be fun for the you know Predators to sort of continue to kick the karma that, that they've had for years with the Sharks. See, I feel the same way about the Black. I I, I don't like watching the Blackhawks, but I, that that karma's got to be. I mean, we're not going to be we're going to be in the same division as the Blackhawks for the foreseeable future. We're going to have to eventually play them in a playoff series and win, like we did with the Red Wings a few years back. I mean, it's just going to have to happen. I I want to stand on the peak of a mountain and watch them slowly crumble into themselves just based solely around the salary cap. And not have to actually beat them. I it, they, Watch them defeat themselves. Yeah. There's no greater reward than watching your enemy defeat themselves. Well, they don't abolish the salary cap first. As far as playing the Sharks, <laughs> I just enjoy watching Joe Thornton cry. So that's my <laughs> Joe, position on them. Joe Thornton, uh, he, he, he's kind of annoying. He's but, a little bit of a cheap shot artist. But Burns he is... he has a terrible beard. Burns is great. And he's gonna win a Norris for sure this year. He's got like they're gonna goals. find they're gonna find someone else to give it to. I just have this feeling. Yeah, that's true. I, I Drew Doughty again. It. You're gonna give it to like Vlasic. <laughs> just just a spite Burns, right? That'd be funny. Or he's gonna be like uh, Latang, and everyone's like, no, that's not gonna happen. Burns is gonna win it for sure. All right, let's talk about the week ahead. So the Predators play four games this week. Um, oh boy, we have uh, all home games. So Tuesday they play the Flames, uh, seven o'clock start. Thursday they play the Avalanche, seven o'clock start. Then a couple of four p.m. starts over the weekend against some good teams. We got the Washington Capitals coming in Saturday, Trots. and uh, we have Sunday we have the Oilers coming in town. Connor McDavid. Um, really good matchups this week, except for that Thursday game, but. I'm sure the Avs will come in here and win. Well, it's it's two bad games and then two potentially really good games. Because Tuesday night against Calgary, that's I mean, any any 
Any that, weeknight that begins with a T against Calgary is going to be a nightmare. That's a classic, just throwback, awful game. And they are not a good hockey team. Midweek game against Calgary. Yeah, it's like even if the Preds manage to win the game, which I believe they ought to, it's just miserable to be in the arena yeah. and, Calgary Flames. And then the Avalanche are, you know, as 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 I say, hashtag James Spiral. Historically bad. Yeah, at least McLeod is on our team and also on IR, so he will not be injuring anyone. Yeah, he won't be involved in that game. So uh, four games this week. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll uh, the Predators will pull out some points against those teams. The Caps games should be fun on uh, on Saturday. That should be a good good matchup. So uh, that's gonna do it for us this week. Um, we appreciate you listening. Um, you can listen to the show, or you're listening to the show. You can follow the show. <laughs> you now have our permission. Congratulations. <laughs> you can now do not do not fast forward. Do not rewind. Just uh, you can now listen to the show. Um, you can follow the show at on the four check on Twitter. You can follow Chris Link at 3D Link, Maria at underscore Maria underscore K, and me at Alex Darty One. Um, we appreciate you listening as usual and uh, we'll be here for you next week as well. Uh, until then, you're listening to the podcast. Thank you very much. Hey, the people.